Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Bernard Pearson. He has over 10 years of real estate investing experience and has recently adjusted his focus primarily to multifamily apartment complexes. Bernard has been a general partner in over 20 properties and invested into over 2,000 units. Previously, he specialized in ground-up development and led the development of over 100,000 square feet of condominium buildings and single-family home communities. So thank you so much for coming on, Bernard. Thanks, Charles. So, give us, yeah, yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, give us a little background, um, both uh, personally and professionally, prior to uh, making a leap into real estate investing. Great, cool. Yeah. So, my I, I was born in Miami, and and, and it's very interesting why my my parents were living here at the time, and where I live now, which is Miami. My parents were living in Miami when I was born. There was a, they were from Nicaragua originally, Central America, and there was a war going on, right? So, my parents were living here during that time because of the war and because of different reasons right and just um and 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 I, I was just born here during that time when I was around about six years old we moved my family moved back to Nicaragua so I did grow up down there uh so my my background is is is, is from Nicaragua I, I went to high school there and, and everything so I'm Nicaraguan American I consider myself and I I started off my 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 real estate journey in 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 development mostly in the development world at least the active side of things were in the development world and I and, and and this was in Nicaragua and, and Costa Rica, and we would build uh, condominiums and single-family homes. And eventually, about five or six years ago, I transitioned into full-time value-add multifamily. I've, I've, I also did some academic uh, stuff on the on the real estate side. I I, I got a master's at, at Georgetown um, in real estate about four or five years ago, and I did a certificate at MIT. So so I've I've, I've been very interested in, in, in the whole real estate thing for quite a while, and. Um, yeah, I love it. Other than being in the construction portion of it and then going into more of the investment portion of it, why did you, other than that, why did you choose real estate as your investment vehicle? So, yeah, the, the great question. So before real estate, I, 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 I used to be in food brokering and, 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 and I've, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've, I only had a W2 one year out of my life, that first year right out of college. And, and after that, I just went straight into entrepreneurship. And in, in that gap, right before I went um, from from I guess from that W two to eventually real estate at, at at a time I was doing food brokering and we were successful we 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 made good money um 
what I figured out pretty quickly was it was a very transactional business and technology was pushing us out very quickly as well, right? Because of just the whole globalization thing. And, and now, now we talk about legalization, but regardless, back then, it, it, it was very easy for the, for the supplier, I guess, to find and to start working directly with the, with the buyer, with the end buyer. And, and, and we were becoming very transactional and, 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 and I could see that eventually we would be pushed out and we, we had made good money. So I, I was looking for options on, on where to invest the money and, and, and create strong or, or streams of income or dependable streams of income. And, and that's how I landed in real estate. Must've been in 2012-ish, 2012, 2013, more or less. Yeah, that's a great story because I think yeah. a lot of people, I previously before getting into the investment portion of real estate um, and actually taking money from investors, stuff like this was, I was using it as a way of making my income that was semi-transactional at that point, more of a investment passive kind of growing, not correlated with your, you know, your regular job, your regular company. So that's great. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us about like when you got started into multifamily, um, as you were just saying, how did you get started? Were you passively investing? Were you, uh, did you buy a property by yourself and you, but you know, third-party management with it? Yeah. So, uh, Several answers. So my first ever multifamily deal was, I want to say it was 2011 or 2012. I'm not 100% sure. Um, and I'm not sure if it was either. So, so I did two, two things at the same time. I uh, invested as an LP in a deal with, a, mm -hmm. with another sponsor. And I, I bought a duplex down here in Miami. Um, so I'm not, honestly, I don't know which one came first. I, I don't remember. It was just it's a long time ago. I don't remember. Um, but after a while, I started seeing my, my, my duplex was doing great, right? It, or, or, or well, it, it, honestly, it kind of just appreciate it. It was third-party property managed. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to deal. I, I knew that they wanted that I wanted. I, I didn't want to do the property management business myself. Things have changed a little since, but back then I knew I just didn't want to do the day-to-day -day with the tenant. And I, I hired the property management for, for that duplex. And regarding the LP position, I started seeing how it, it it, it went very well. The, 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 the sponsor delivered. Uh, the, the cash flow was coming in as 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 promised, or or at least as 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 presented. And and eventually it went full cycle. And I, I did a bunch of LP deals, and and that path kind of took me into the I, I into being more uh, curious, I guess, about the GP side or the active side of things. Interesting. Uh, before we get more into your business, I just have a question because you had made the transfer into multifamily investing. And this is something, an asset class we talk a lot about on the show is multifamily. And what were some of the pros of why you chose multifamily? Because there's so many different asset classes that one can invest into. Right. So I back then as an LP, I, I most of my investing was multifamily. But here I, I, I did do some investments in office. I did do some investments in, in mobile home parks. I did do some investments in, uh, in I think I mentioned office already, but office retail. So, so I did test out the different um, self-storage, right? They all did well. Multifamily for some reason was doing better back then. I didn't really understand it back then, why it was doing better than the rest. Um, but it, 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 just, it was just more consistent. And, and that kind of led me to, 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 to follow that path. With that said, we we we've had great years in multifamily for the last, I want to say, eight years or even even more. I mean, depending on, on how you look at it. So it, I've I've always liked the fact that, that multifamily you provide housing, right? So it's, it's an important service that you're providing. It's a great yeah. service to, to to your tenants, to your residents, um, and 
it's it's an and, and on the investment side, it's it's a need, right? Everyone needs a housing, everyone needs a, a place to live. So for me, that was just kind of like the easier decision to just choose that asset class. Interesting. So Brian, mainly you're working when we know each other from a mastermind group and you're primarily working with international investors, mainly Latin American investors, obviously, because you relate to them very well. Um, what differences do you really see, let's say, um, between U.S. investors and Latin American investors, um, you know, in all senses of properties they're looking for, risk tolerance and returns they're they're looking for, et cetera? Yeah, so I... Uh... I, I do identify very well with them because I I used to be in in when I did my development work it was it was in Latin America right which which was was a couple of years ago or about ten around the same time I, I did those LP positions I was also developing in Latin America so I know that the the pain of doing business in Latin America with that said there are opportunities there are good things about it there are great things it, 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 it's it, but it's not for everyone right so so there's a lot of pain involved with doing business in another country. Um, and uh, things as simple as property rights are not as easily, it's, they're just not as easy to work around as they are here in the U.S. The legal system is different. It's a different legal system. Um, the, the, the expenses, believe it or not, can be higher. Uh, so things like, like, um, materials are, are probably going to be higher in Latin America than, than in the U.S. Um, labor, probably cheaper, right? But the materials are going to be more expensive. Uh, Credit is very limited in Latin America. It's we don't, especially in, so when you look at residential. Part of the reason there's there's in a way, I mean, probably right now is not the perfect example with SVB and everything, right? But there's an abundance of credit, right? Because we have Fannie and we have Freddie, you know, with with on on the multifamily side, we don't have that in Latin America and in, in most countries, at least not 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 a big institution that can do this. So there's limited liquidity. There's limited equity. The, the, after a while, I analyzed the whole thing, and just the risk-return profile in general was 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 inferior, in my opinion, in Latin America. And I and and I studied this deeply. Um, with that said, going back to, to to your question, the what they look for. So I I I identify very well with them because of those reasons, right? And 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 I've I've been through their pain. I've I've been through that. And culturally, I understand them. And what 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 they want is. We we've been we've gone through a lot of trouble in most countries in Latin America. Most countries have gone through wars. We've had hyperinflation. We've had limited credit. We've had numerous things, right, that, that have complicated life to a certain degree for us down there. In general, every country is different, right? But in general, so they they, they just want to know that they're they're not going to lose their money. That everyone has lost, especially if they're high net worth. They they've 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 had bad experiences at, at one point in their life, and they just want that security, right? And and they just want to know that they're not going to lose money. Now, the appetite, the, the risk appetite is pretty high because it is a pretty risky environment in general. So we're used to it in Latin America to have high risk. Um, now we do expect high reward with, with the high risk. With that said, with, um, right now, recently, where we're seeing in the U.S. probably some, it, it's not as easy. It, it, investors are a little bit more cautious than they were probably a year ago today. Right in the U.S. in Latin America, there is some of that, but in general, they're 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 not their mindset is still pretty bullish, right? Because we're 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 used to having recessions constantly. We're used to to, to having inflation. We're used to we, we this is not scary for us, 
<laughs> right? Um, we, we've lived this numerous times. So the, my feeling has been with investors in, in Latin America right now, in, in Latin America in general right now, is that they're still investing and they're still uh, pretty bullish, right? Or, or, or pretty, I guess, uh, yeah, bullish and aggressive in, 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 in their needs and investments. Okay. Yeah, it was one of my questions coming up was that um, with interest rates rising um, or have rise to the top wherever we are now and inflation mm -hmm. is still a concern, even if it's not growing as much as uh, before. I mean, they're still very much interested in investing to the U.S. market and there's still an appetite for investing into U.S. apartments. Right. Yeah. I'll, and yeah. I'll give you an example. Like just some of my investors, just the fact that they invested in the U.S. and converted their currency into dollars saved them from 100% hyperinflation like they saw in Argentina right, last year. Mm -hmm. right? So just that was enough of a win. right? They, they didn't even need that 20 or 15 or 20 or whatever IOR you achieved for them. They, they didn't even need that or the cash on cash. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the interest rate, the, the interesting thing about interest rates is, yeah, we, we, we in the U.S. right now, we're, we're like, oh, wow, interest rates have shot up drastically right in the last year or so um when we compare that to most of that in america it's a lot cheaper money down there is expensive usually uh when when, when you go to a lender it's gonna be a lot higher than it is here yeah. so yeah we, we, it, it doesn't they're not gonna see it as oh wow that's a high interest rate that, that that's not gonna be their reaction to, to five or six percent interest rates right so with um, one of the questions here is that obviously different countries, I know like Argentina is one of them and I've spoken to investors there. It's difficult to get money out. It's difficult to get money out of their currency. I mean, what are some of the challenges that you have found with some of your Latin American investors investing into the US? We've kind of gone through the mindset. They're very bullish on it. Um, but going just the mechanics of what needs to be in place or what issues that they might have, currency conversion may be one of them. Currency conversion, definitely depending on the country, there are other countries that, that, that limit the amount of money you can take out or, or, or they tax you if, you if you wire money outside of the country. Um, so, so that is one Countries like Argentina are, are, are going to have that. Venezuela has had that for years. And, 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 and there are numerous countries, right, that, that, that you, you have to understand that a little. Um, the, the, the other part is always going to be, well, first of all, you have to know who you're dealing with. You have to know who's investing with you. You, you want to make sure that, 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 that this, these are this is clean money, right? To just to put it bluntly, um, and the 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 legal the usually what happens is so you go to an investor down in let's say Argentina, right? And he says, okay, I'll invest fifty thousand dollars or a hundred or two hundred, whatever that number is. Before you know it, you you end up seeing that he needs to talk to an attorney or a CPA. When he goes to that attorney or CPA, the first thing they tell him is, you know what, you should probably form an entity or, or structure this a little differently than, than just investing. And that takes time, right? So, so if anyone is looking to, to, to raise money from overseas or, or, or Latin America specifically, I would encourage them to, 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 to get ahead of that with their investors and, 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 and have them structure themselves. Some of them are going to invest personally, um, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are, it, it, especially if they're going to invest a substantial amount over a period of time. There's a lot of reasons why they wouldn't want to invest personally if you're from Latin America. Um, just to, there, there's only two countries in Latin America that have a tax free with the U.S. Right? That's going to be Mexico and Venezuela. Venezuela is basically out because of reasons that 
for many of us are obvious, right? So they're, they're probably not going to be your target to invest in. Most of the Venezuelans that will invest with you are probably in the U.S. already or have a U.S. structure which with, that they can use to invest. So for you, they're going to be a U.S. person, right? So you don't really have to worry about the Venezuelans. So that and so so that tax treaty is, is really not really beneficial for for, for us. The Mexico tax treaty can be beneficial, but no one else has a tax treaty. So that it doesn't complicate things, but it it makes it such that the investor has to be more mindful of how they structure themselves to to, to make it efficient, right? And 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 there's also a bunch of other things, asset protection, like if it's if it's if they there's tax laws like if you pass away and like like us in the U.S. I mean I'm not a CPA or anything about them. I'm not trying to give any any um, tax advice here. But but like if we, if we were to pass away, I think our our, our we we can leave up. I, I want to say ten million dollars. Yeah, so twelve to twelve. Okay, twelve. Um, for for foreigners, that number goes down to. I want to say somewhere between 50 and 100. They, they've changed it. it 60,000 last time I checked. Six, okay, 60. Okay. But so, all this stuff, check with you. We're, none of us are attorneys exactly, or CPAs. Exactly. But it goes to show you $12 million on the 60,000. It's a huge difference because you can make $60,000 on 50,000. You know what I mean? Exactly. So so potentially this investor from from, from Latin America somewhere, right, is investing 200,000. Well, now he has a big problem yeah. um, if, if he were to pass away, right? So he has to structure himself. There are ways to structure that so you can avoid that potentially, right? From what I've been told, right? But do do your research and talk to, to professionals about this. When you're, uh, let's say, structuring deals and offerings to investors with, the, let's say, the target or the majority of the target of these investors will be Latin American investors. Do you have to, do you modify these at all to make it more appealing to your Latin America international investor base? Whereas I know, cause I've, when we've done it before, we have a lot of investors that have chosen that are non-US to invest in something that's really uh, like a preferred equity model almost, you know what I mean? Where you're getting a set percentage, not no upside, but you're getting a set percentage, whether it's eight, nine, 10, 11, whatever it is on the deal percentage. Um, paid monthly, and they choose that over something where most American investors are going to look for upside and they want to get, you know, they want something like the high, you know, teens or something. Right. Yeah. So we, we, we don't do that, but I, I, I know where that's coming from because there is a mentality that cash flow is very important, right? Like it, it, for them, right. It feels like, okay, so I invest today and I'm getting money back and it's a fixed amount. I don't have to worry about what's changing. I don't have to, um, where Culturally, we, we tend to be very skeptical because we, 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 we've gone through rough experiences, right? So it's better if you just tell me the, the you know, that's a, the, the mindset down there, right? Just tell me the rules up front. I just want to know how much I'm going to make. I don't care. Don't, don't, don't give me the variables. Tell me how much I'm going to make. And that's where I see the preferred equity um, or, or, or just a fixed amount of preferred return being, being, being a good model. We haven't, we, we, don't, we haven't done that. We, we, we just offer the regular LP position. With that said, they're, they're, there is another reason why the preferred equity or, or the fixed return model can, can be beneficial. And um, again, I uh, want to make clear I'm not a tax professional, but look into it. There are laws that can help you minimize significantly um, and sometimes to zero the withholding to foreigners if you structure it as that, right? Oh, interesting. I wasn't even thinking that way. That's that's great. Yeah. So, uh, so I Bernard, do know that, yeah. that, that that some of my investors that's what they do. 
they create an entity, right? And they structure it so that that entity is a US entity and they structure it in a way where, where, where they got a fixed return, right? They almost lend money. I mean, I've, I've, I don't know the details and, 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 and I've yeah. been, but, but yeah, it's, it's common to use. Yeah. Portfolio yeah, just, exemption, I think it's called. So if, you, if you're interested in looking into it. What was it? Say one more time. Portfolio loan exemption. Okay. All right. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause usually with someone that's international reaches out to us to invest, it's something where first thing we do is we put them in, give them a list of attorneys and CPAs that, you know, mainly that, Obviously, if they're foreign, they speak their language or that very um, knowledgeable of their culture. Yeah, they're and familiar then, with laws, and yeah, then yeah. they can figure. We do it the out. exact same thing. Yeah. We do the exact same thing. We 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 have our um, we 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 know attorneys and CPAs that we refer our investors to. We don't give them any tax advice because we're not yeah. qualified for it. Um, but we refer them in in, in the direction that where yeah. they may help them. Also, it's going to be completely different. Someone wants to invest fifty thousand dollars versus five million or five hundred thousand. It's completely different setup, um, and over how many years in the whole nine yards? One hundred percent, yeah. Bernard, so tell us. I mean, how would you suggest a real estate investor to prepare for a downturn? If we have a pullback coming, that's more than what we've already seen. I mean, what? How do you prepare your own portfolio, and how would you per, uh, suggest another investor to prepare for? So. Uh... There's several things, but 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 um, in, in in summary, I would if if you're looking at new acquisitions or even your, your current holdings, be conservative with your underwriting. Don't be aggressive. It's not the time to be aggressive. You know, it's not the time to consider huge rent growth or anything like that. Um, if if you're acquiring or refinancing or something, I I I I'm we're in an environment where I would like to get longer term debt. I mean, I'm, I'm, it doesn't necessarily have to be a ten year term, right? But but at least five maybe. Um, yeah, the 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 not it, it's also not a time to do heavy rehabs. Yeah. I would say for a property. So 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 if, on on the properties we own right now, we're not investing significantly into the cosmetic look of the property. Uh, just and, and and there's two reasons. Well, frankly, we're not seeing it pay off as much as it would maybe a year or two or three ago, and. We prefer to have that cash ready in case we need it, right? Um, we 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 think that's a better way of 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 avoiding capital calls and all the type of, of of issues that can arise in this environment. Yeah, no, it's great. It's the same thing as we had one property we were doing prior to everything kind of happening. You know, eighteen months ago, let's say it started. Um, you have uh, we were doing like five turns on one property, you know, full upgrades into them, the whole nine yards. Um, and now when we're doing turns, we're probably doing one upgrade per unit uh, per month. You know what I mean? And just kind of right. testing the appetite, keeping the plan going. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But it's just really testing that appetite. Are we getting the rents that we thought? Is it still make return? Because most of the time, like you said, it's a lot of painting, cleaning out the door. You know what I mean? With a little bit higher rent, um, but nothing crazy. Exactly. Yeah. That's what we've seen across our properties uh, that we don't have to go all out right, right. now. And, and, and we're, we're mostly, for the most part, choosing not to, or as you said, we're choosing to go maybe more slowly, right? Yeah. So Bernard, you've been investing uh, or involved with construction projects, investing in your own properties, investing third parties. What are common mistakes uh, that you've seen over your real estate investing career that real estate investors make? Optimism is number one. I think uh, most real estate investors and entrepreneurs are. We're, we're, we we tend to be optimists, and 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 sometimes we overlook 
things that can't happen, or or or, or maybe we think we can pull something off in a year, and 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 when it really takes three, right? And and I see that that's probably the most common mistake I've seen. Um, Sometimes I've seen over leverage. Maybe uh, there, there's no need always to to max out your leverage. Uh, aggressive assumptions, definitely, but that's maybe related to optimism, uh, where where records are 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 too aggressive on per per underwriting. I've I've also seen operators looking at deals and 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 reducing expenses too aggressively, and it, it's not easy to reduce expenses in a property unless you have an edge and you know exactly how you're going to do it. If, if, if you have an edge and you have the experience and hopefully even the experience in that specific market, you may understand how you can reduce expenses. If, if it's a new market and you're new to multifamily, it, it, it's very easy to, to think you're going to reduce expenses. And then when, when you got in, you realize that's not the case. Maybe off the beginning, you, you change some vendors, you save some money there, you change your property management, you change money there, but consistently showing expense reductions is just not really you gotta really focus on the income is what i found there there are cases where where, yeah. where, where expenses are obviously too high i mean maybe yeah. water is too high and you know there's a leak or something so there are cases where expense reduction is definitely part of the plan but but i do see it as a common mistake where 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 where, where investors tend to be very aggressive with, with what they think they can achieve with or, or, or with those expenses they think they can operate the property Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. So great points there. So Bernard, you grew up partially in Latin America and then here in my Miami, in the United States. I mean, how has your relationship towards money changed over the years, having so many different perspectives from living here in the US and then also working, you know, predominantly with people in Latin America, you hear all these different ideas and thoughts of where everything's going. So we've I've I've and, and me, my family, my 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 cousins, my my uncles, my my parents, my my and, and my immediate family too. We we've made money, we've lost money, we we we've been up, we've had ups and highs throughout our our life, and uh, that over the last ten years, I guess you know that's part of the reason why I'm more focused in the U.S. now, where things are more stable. But so to, to answer your, your question, I today I don't see the money as mine, I, um, or as my family's. I see it as something we're borrowed. Uh, that is that, that that you know we're we're just. We're, we're here to use it while, while we're here in this world and 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 we're we we borrowed it to just make the best impact we can on society and and if that means growing it to to, to buy more properties and improve more properties well that's that right if, if that means doing eventually philanthropy well then it's it's that right if there's there gonna be numerous ways to use it but uh to answer your question i i try to see not the money as mine and i've got to to create too much of a, I guess, intimate relationship, if you will, with money. Interesting. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great response. Um, so what do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over the years? Perseverance is definitely one, you know, you have to keep on going. You're going to mess up. You're going to be, um, you're, you're going to want to quit, right? If, if, if it's a strong word, I know quit is a strong word in, 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 in our world, especially. Um, but, but you have to persevere. You, you you have to be confident that you'll 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 make it. Um, some of us get lucky on the first deal, right? And 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 perseverance is not that important. But some of us don't. Sometimes it takes five, six, seven, eight, ten deals. Um, and the other thing that really has contributed to my success is making mistakes. They can tell you all day about the mistakes. They can I I can tell someone about a mistake all day and avoid certain mistakes. 
But the reality is what I've seen with me is until I make that mistake myself, it's not going to have the same impact. Yeah. The other thing too, is getting success too early. I see, you know what I mean? Um, because then you're used to it and then you're like, and yeah. then if you're not preparing your investors, every time I get on a call with investors and they're looking at a track record, you're like, this probably won't be what's going to be for the next, you know, this is the last five years won't be for the next five. You know what I mean? <laughs> Just letting you know. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. We're in a tough spot, right? Because we haven't, we've had very good years, right? So. Yeah. Um, Bernard, so how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Just go to my, my, my website, I, um, equitypartners.com. So equity is with an I at the end for international. So E-Q-U-I-T-I partners.com. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Bernard, and uh, looking forward to connecting with you here in the near future. Great. Thanks, Charles. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.